Welcome back to Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent former federal officials for a dynamic discussion of the most important legal topics of the day. Today, we are privileged to be inside the Los Angeles offices of Congressman Ted Lieu. We're going to talk about the president's remarkable assertion that there's no problem receiving dirt from a foreign adversary, as well as the general state of play of the House's investigation into the counterintelligence aspects of the 2016 election. We'll then turn to a discussion of where things stand with respect to Congress's efforts to bring public attention to the more incendiary conclusions of the Mueller report and a clear-eyed look at whether the opportunity is possibly slipping away. I'm Harry Littman. I'm a former United States attorney and deputy assistant attorney general and a current Washington Post columnist. Today, we've assembled another fantastic quartet, or at least trio plus me, of authoritative voices on these topics. First, we're very pleased to welcome For the first time to Talking Feds, Professor Lori Levinson of Loyola Law School. Lori served here in Los Angeles as an assistant United States attorney in the criminal section, where she was a trial and appellate lawyer for eight years, becoming senior trial attorney and assistant division chief. She's been one of the chief public authorities on prosecutorial practice for many years, since well before it became a cottage industry in the Trump years. Welcome to Talking Feds, Lori Levinson. Hi, Harry. Thanks for having me. We are also joined by returning former FBI agent Josh Campbell from CNN. Josh is a former supervisory special agent with the FBI and served as special assistant to the FBI director. His bureau career included conducting terrorism, kidnapping, and cyber investigations, as well as serving overseas in U.S. embassies and embedded in faraway places with military special operations teams and the CIA. He continues to be an officer in the Navy Reserve and teaches national security at the University of Southern California. Josh, thanks very much for coming back to Talking Feds. Thanks, Harry. I wondered how the first appearance went. I guess uh, it went okay. You invited me back. (laughs) You're you're in there, yeah. (laughs) And finally, we have the huge honor to welcome Congressman Ted Lieu to Talking Feds for the first time. Congressman Lieu represents California's 33rd Congressional District in the United States House of Representatives. He sits on the House Judiciary Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee and was elected by his Democratic colleagues to serve as a co-chair of the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee. Ted is a former active duty officer in the U.S. Air Force, and he currently serves as a colonel in the reserves. Welcome, Congressman, and thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Feds. Uh, Thank you, Harry. It's an honor to be here. Okay, let's dive in. In an interview earlier this week with George Stephanopoulos, President Trump came out with one of his stunningly brazen assertions, uh, namely that he would be open to listening to a foreign country's opposition research against his 2020 rival, and that really there was nothing wrong in saying that a candidate should report such interference to the FBI. He might do it or he might not. Congressman Liu, you called that an unpatriotic statement. What did you mean by that? 
Uh, thank you, Harry, for your question. Uh, what Donald Trump said was un-American, unpatriotic, and unbelievable. Uh, it, <laughs> and illegal. Uh, it also has to be yeah. uh, against the law, uh, the conduct he described. Under the Federal Election Campaign Act, it very specifically says that a candidate uh, cannot accept anything of material value from a foreign power. And so I hope Donald Trump uh, would get briefed by uh, his legal team. And what did we mean by foreign power there? He used the example of Norway. Would that count <laughs> as a foreign power and would that be a game changer? So, yeah. yes, it would, but let's be clear at the outset. The Norwegians are not sitting there trying to plan how to interfere in the U.S. election. We're talking about hostile adversaries. We're talking about Russia. We're talking about China. And I think what this essentially did is two things. First, it served as a welcome mat for these countries to come on in. And if you weren't already plotting how to interfere in the U.S. election in 2020, now the president has signaled that he's open to hearing from you. So if you're sitting in these intelligence centers, how can you not prepare for that? I think the second point is that this is probably the most troubling thing that we've heard from the president to date. And the reason I say that is because we're used to him defending himself from past allegations, even if what he's defending himself against turns out to be true, right? But this is troubling because he's essentially forecasting in the future that he's willing to commit a crime down the road, and that's very troubling. And, yeah, and Laurie, so you were suggesting it's illegal, and what do you mean by that? Well, I, I just think it's remarkable. You know, I have with me my trusty Mueller report, <laughs> and it lays out very clearly, as the congressman said, that it would be illegal to take this information, things of value, and, and you know, he didn't get charged under the Mueller investigation, but it's almost as if he took it as, well, then I can keep on doing this. And the only reason that the Trump campaign didn't get charged is that there was no coordination, there was no conspiracy. But now that he knows it's not okay to do, that there's a federal law against it, then to sort of send out the message, as Josh says, encouraging people, come forward with this information, I don't think you might necessarily get the same pass. Yeah, it's kind of stunning. And now, you know, this path lies madness, but let me just ask, and as, as with his other more um, bizarre assertions, do we really think he believes this? Or is it just being provocative or somehow trying to uh, whip up the, the, the base? You know, on something like this, it seems so implausible. But is it, you know, maybe he's just completely ignorant about the law and thinks, well, whatever I say the law is, it is. I think his view is whatever helps him he will support and do. And I think in his mind, if he can get opposition research on an opponent, doesn't matter where it comes from. Problem with that is it's un-American if it comes from a foreign power, and it's also illegal. And I just think it's he's trying to project this sort of tough guy image, like, come on, this is how we all know politics is right, done. Right. But yeah. I don't think all politics is done that way. I do think that there are decent patriotic people who would say, I don't want the Russians interfering, even if it's of advantage to me. It's yeah, well, not of advantage to the country. Every analogous situation that we have uh, were instances in which the campaign or the uh, American entity immediately did report to the FBI. I don't think this – I think this is unprecedented in actually what's in the volume one report of just, you know, bring it on and that's great. It helps me. Why do I care? No, you're right. And I think that a lot of people, you know, like us who stare at these issues and stare at what the White House does, stares at what the president does, we know there's a certain reality here as it relates to his future. And there's long been this question as far as whether the Southern District of New York poses a bigger challenge to him perhaps than Robert Mueller did. And so there's this theory out there that if he loses reelection based on statute of limitations, on some of these possible allegations that maybe are against him and his companies and, you know, the foundation and the like, he may be prosecuted. 
But if he wins election, a re-election rather, on some of these instances, he may actually go beyond that statute of limitations. So the, my point is that his entire life might be on the line here as far as his freedom as it comes to winning re-election. So, of course, he's going to do whatever he can to get re-election. And as he signaled to the country, to the world, he's that also includes opening the door and welcoming help from a foreign government. Now, he needs to be, I think, careful if that's really what he intends. It's not clear to me that after four years, the same foreign governments would think the same of him that mm-hmm. they did a few years ago. That's what do you mean point. by that? Uh, I think if he's going to say, hey, you all just come and try to interfere in American elections— you have lots of foreign governments that don't particularly like the American president. And, and don't forget that there have been foreign officials that have actually been indicted, even by Mueller. And the other thing about what he said that really troubles me is the disdain for the FBI mm-hmm. and law enforcement. You know, it's one thing for him to say, well, I, I don't think it's a crime for me to listen on the phone. But for him to say, look, but I'm not going to allow those individuals who actually worry about this interference, who have the legal obligation to investigate it, I'm not going to clue them in that there could be a problem here. We would want every American. Yeah, so what about that, Josh? I, I mean, he basically directly contradicts FBI Director Christopher Ray. I would say is more it, than contradict. I would say he undercut him yeah, yeah. by so saying you're wrong. What the FBI pos- Director is what wrong. What position does that put him in? What are what are his sort of options now? How do you he's, – he's the latest in the series of federal mm-hmm. officials who service under this president is incredibly awkward. Where, where do you see Ray now uh, responding to this – uh, diametrical opposition from Trump. So I think he has three options. I think realistically only two of them are actually tenable. The first thing he can do is nothing. Stay quiet, right? Absorb the blow. I don't think that's tenable because the FBI has already been through so much over the course of the last three years that for yet another call that essentially undercuts their actions to go unanswered, I think would be unfortunate. So he's got two options. The first thing he can do is speak up and say, look, this is wrong. This is against the law. What the president of the United States did or what he said is not consistent with the law. And that signals to his own troops that he takes these issues seriously, but also to the American people that the FBI will do its work and investigate crimes wherever they lead, including the president in 2020, if he actually makes good on his uh, what, he, what the president claimed. The third option is he can pack his bags. And, and all of us who have served in government know that at some point, you know, that's always a, a reality, perhaps, that if you think that you're no longer effective or in senior leadership positions that you're being uh, undermined, then that's or there's something so egregious that you can't do your job. That's an option is to resign. So I think realistically, he's got to speak up. The other option would be to leave. That's up to him. I do think that's what is really interesting, and this is actually, I fault the Department of Justice for this under the current leadership, is let's look back just this week at which federal agency was the first to stand up and say, Mr. President, you are wrong. It wasn't the Department of Justice. It wasn't the FBI. It was the Federal Election Commission. The chair yesterday coming out with a very scathing statement, essentially saying, and I think in her tweet, she actually said, I can't believe I have to even say this. It's so obvious. But yes, taking information from a foreign government is illegal. And the last thing she mentions to the point of earlier is that if you get information, it is your duty to call the FBI. I think Christopher Ray also has some cover because you have Republicans also saying the president was wrong. Uh, recently, the ranking member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Representative McCall, went on TV and said, you need to call the FBI, that essentially what the president said was wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you would think this is completely obvious, but now you don't know where the attorney general is going to to be. And in particular, where people hoped 
that William Barr would be someone who would also support the uh, institutional uh, mission and prerogatives of the FBI. It turns out that to date he's been completely in Team Trump, uh, you know, in that camp. And so if Ray winds up making a principled stand, he may well be at cross purposes with uh, the, t- the attorney general. Well, you know, I do wonder how much Trump gets away with. No one really takes that seriously, what I have to say. You know, uh, all I'm saying is that politics is rough and tough. And, you know, we get these calls. Everybody gets these calls. But you're interpreting me like I'm a lawyer giving an analysis of this. And that would be wrong. I'm just saying that, yeah, you know, if they really called and said, look, I'm going to undermine America, maybe I'd do something differently. But, hey, opposition research. And, of course, the first thing he does is point to Clinton. Everything is a distraction. Yeah. Do you agree with that, though, uh, Ted, that it's he's basically making the pitch that eh, anybody would do it and uh, there's really no problem here? He's making that pitch. It's just factually wrong because foreign <laughs> powers actually don't approach candidates unless they think you're susceptible to that. So yeah. it makes you wonder why would he think that foreign powers routinely approach candidates, that they actually don't. They approached him and his campaign because they believed that his campaign could be susceptible uh, to influence from a foreign power. And if you look at the Mueller report, it lays out a huge amount of contacts with the Russians. The Mueller report— Right, a couple hundred almost. Correct. So Mueller could not find uh, sufficient evidence to charge a criminal conspiracy, but he lays out a lot of what looks like collusion. Yeah. And by that, you mean there's actual um, welcoming and encouraging and, of, of foreign interference and— Correct. Uh, it, well, he also finds, uh, if you sort of read it, that, in fact, the campaign of the Russians were taking actions in response to each other. He just defines that as not legal coordination. He's very specific about it. He says legal coordination requires something beyond that, uh, which I think he's actually wrong on. Uh, but he, well, well, uh, Why so? Because you just look at the normal term of coordination, uh, that to me would be coordination. So you, so you think there would be, like, you, you see uh, sufficient evidence in the Mueller Report, Volume 1, of an agreement? No, no. but uh, one party taking action response to what another party does. I see. And I think that what was lacking, at least Mueller thought was lacking, was really uh, affirmative encouragement by the Trump campaign. It's like they would take the meeting, but they didn't sort of say, bring it on. But now with Trump's remarks, it does interpret a lot like bring it on. Yeah, what about that? You're you're right. And I think that, you know, all of us will probably agree that just because you're bad at colluding doesn't mean that you tried to collude, (laughs) right? And I think Mueller offered them a gift by not fully probing, you know, their actual actions. And because the Trump Tower meeting, for example, didn't actually yield fruit, uh, he didn't decide to go after it and actually, you know, uh, charge it with anything. But that doesn't mean that they were operating righteously. And I think that, again, what brings back to the president's comments, what's so troubling about it is not only, again, he's signaling, he's, he's learned nothing, essentially. Um, but the second thing is that, you know, we expect our president, someone in that position, you know, the standard shouldn't be, well, what is illegal? It should be, well, what, what is right? How do we want our leaders operating in an ethical way, even if it doesn't technically cross the line, which I think that this actually does, by the way. But what is just so striking, just if you look at it on its face, is every single day in this country you have authorities uh, and law enforcement that are imploring the public, if you see something, say something, pick up the phone, call law enforcement. The president's response to that, and I quote, is give me a break. That's not the way life works. Right. I guess in some ways the $64,000 question is whether this is working So now we have the president being completely brazen about saying 
uh, this is the way it works, you know, give me a break. Do we think that, in fact, that pitch works in with the uh, with the American people, at least enough to kind of freeze the linebackers and have enough of a political support that there's no cost to saying what strikes all of us as as being a really, uh, you know, outrageous uh, incitement both to break the law and to compromise the national security interests of the United States. Is this another one he gets away with? I think Abraham Lincoln had it right when he said public sentiment is everything. Uh, With it, nothing can fail. Without it, nothing can succeed. So every time Donald Trump does something outrageous, un-American or unpresidential, it reminds the American people of exactly those things, uh, which is why his poll numbers are very, very low. And the continual acts of brazenness that he is doing, uh, you might not think it is hurting him, but I think it's hurting him if you just look at polling uh, across America. Uh, He is simply not able to break out of his very low poll numbers, and this continues to keep him low. You know, I don't know, because all the rules don't seem to apply to Donald Trump. Stunning, isn't it? It is stunning. And so you would expect this would be a situation where there'd not only be a legal reaction, but a congressional reaction to a public reaction. But there are so many distractions with the upcoming uh, debates that are going on or the decision of whether to go with impeachment. It seemed like no one issue sticks on this president. So I, I think that he knows that he messed up. And the reason he knows he messed up is because he tried to clean it up on yes. Fox and Friends yes. and really. essentially said what he said was not what he said, which is we've gotten used to by now. And one of his spokespersons, actually, she came out and said that we'll take this on a case-by-case basis, which going back to the Representative Lou point, like, you know, how much foreign <laughs> interference are you expecting here, right? That you're setting right. up processes is in order to deal with. and is it interference? Right. That would be the case-by-case. Exactly. But I, I think at the end of the day, and, and you know, as the representative mentioned, it's you know it's about public sentiment. So the American people stare at this and wonder, you know, wow, he's learned nothing, and he's actually signaling he might actually conduct criminal activity. But what also is interesting, and I'm speaking a little bit out of a term because I'm not an elected member of Congress. I defer to the gentleman from California on this, but I think that this is more fodder for the House of Representatives as they seek to hold this administration accountable. This is one more data point that the president again is signaling that he is open to conducting, uh, engaging in criminal activity in the future. Uh, which I think is important that not only the public hear it, but also the Congress. But I think it's actually really, really important. I want to thank the congressman that you can have these elected officials out there say, no, this is not the way we get elected. It's not how we think of the nation. It's not the standards that we want. Those voices are really, really important now. In fact, we had a conservative paper reach out to us saying they're asking every member of Congress the question of uh, has a foreign power ever, you know, contact you to, to help you, and uh, would you report them to the FBI? So you have conservative outlets who are uh, very troubled by what the president said. Yeah, and remember, he's governing from the start on a real knife's edge. If you compare, say, the Watergate example, there was a time where the uh, independent sentiment was all against impeachment, and then things changed a little bit. And here they're so frozen that uh, a movement of 5 or 10% could actually change the, the calculation, at least in the House. It's hard to see the uh, Republican Senate ever uh, actually waking up and doing its constitutional duty right now. Okay, that's all we have time for on this topic. Now it's time for our sidebar feature, 
which provides some basic information about federal prosecutorial practice and constitutional law. And we are very privileged today to have Lawrence Tribe, the Carl M. Loeb University professor at Harvard Law School and perhaps the preeminent constitutional law scholar in the United States. He is going to explain the obligations of the prosecutor to provide favorable evidence to defendants under the Brady versus Maryland case. Under the due process clause of the Constitution, the government must turn over any evidence that is favorable to a defendant, called exculpatory evidence, in its possession that is material to the defendant's guilt or punishment when a defendant requests it. The right to obtain exculpatory evidence was established in a case called Brady versus Maryland, in which Justice Douglas wrote that society wins not only when the guilty are convicted, but when criminal trials are fair. Brady material includes evidence tending to exonerate a defendant or implicate a different suspect, as well as evidence that would tend to impeach government witnesses or undermine the government's case, including incentives to witnesses to testify for the prosecution, evidence that contradicts a government's witness, or information that law enforcement agents involved in the case have a record of lying on official documents. Because Brady places an ongoing obligation on the government, a prosecutor must maintain contact with the investigators and disclose additional evidence they subsequently learn that tends to exonerate a defendant. Another federal law called the Jenks Act requires the government to produce recorded and written witness statements of testifying witnesses upon request. Violations of Brady entitle a defendant to a new trial, or as with Brady versus Maryland, a new sentence. However, a major limitation of Brady is that it only applies to material evidence, meaning evidence that would have a reasonable probability of changing the outcome of the proceeding. If a court concludes that the evidence would probably not have changed the outcome, it will not find a violation. For Talking Feds, I'm constitutional law professor Lawrence Tribe. Thank you very much, Professor Tribe. We are really privileged to have you as a friend of the podcast. I'd like to talk a little bit about the general state of play in Congress at this point. We are many weeks in to the uh, revelations from the Mueller report, and Congress seems to be getting foiled at every turn for actually describing and portraying to the American people just what happened. Are we at a point where Congress's ability to actually drive home the big lessons of the Mueller report is failing and it will, won't be able to come forward? Congressman Liu, I know that you have specifically suggested that it's time for a formal impeachment inquiry. What's your thinking in calling for that? And just in general, what do you see as the state of play right now with Congress's uh, attempt to 
actually bring home the lessons of the Mueller report? Uh, thank you, Harry, for your question. I have expressed my uh, personal opinions to Speaker Pelosi, and there will be a decision that the Speaker and the caucus makes, and I respect that decision. In the meantime, we are trying to bring the Mueller report to life. And so we recently did have a hearing uh, with John Dean, a former federal prosecutors, uh, walking the American people through uh, their 11 or so instances of obstruction of justice. It also happened that day that there was a helicopter crash in New York. And right. so things happen with a news cycle that you can't control. But we're going to have additional hearings uh, on the Mueller report uh, about the facts in the Mueller report. We're also winning court victories. So we've won uh, three court victories uh, in terms of uh, getting uh, information from the Trump administration. Hope Hicks is going to uh, testify and we're going to get additional fact witnesses because they're legal reasoning for preventing witnesses from showing up is a bunch of BS. Uh, yeah, let me follow up yeah. on the Hope Hicks point. She is going to testify, but behind closed doors, as I understand it, though it'll be transcribed. A similar, uh, you could say, victory was was won by uh, Donald Trump Jr. in um, actually testifying, but again, behind closed doors. And that means the lost opportunity of having the American people actually see what they have to say. What's your sense of why Congress permitted this arrangement and how much do you think it matters that we're not actually getting to see the kind of TV moment that we had in Watergate, say, right. of people under the lights? Right. That's a great question. I think the House Judiciary Committee is going to see how this goes. Uh, we're going to see um, how effective is this. Uh, does it matter for a witness that they're testifying behind closed doors? Um, the transcript is going to come out. And we also know that Hope Hicks um, was going to not come in at all. And so uh, this was a victory to have her uh, show up. And this sets a precedent, right, that, hey, look, you have witnesses at least coming uh, and in the future, we believe we'll get more fact witnesses, and some will be behind closed doors, some will not be. Who would you like to see most if it's actually the case that some fact witnesses will come forward? So, you know, I may be off course here, but frankly, I would have had Bob Mueller testifying mm -hmm. on camera if all you did was ask him to read page such and such <laughs> of a report mm -hmm. or such and such a report. Because I think those images and voices are important to the well, American that's not public. Foreclosed. That would may you happen. That, right? You know, because I can understand where he says, I'm not going to give you anything more than in the report. Report. Fine. Just read your words because everyone else is spinning your words and they sound differently coming from Bob Mueller. And the image is different coming from Bob Mueller. I worry a little bit that the time works against, you know, that occurring against the House getting that message out. So I understand things are in the work and I appreciate people have to be careful. But you got two different things going on here. You've got the legal proceedings and then you get the American public sort of deciding when they get tired of this. And if you don't do it soon, I'm worrying that people will move on. Well, yeah. not only that, yeah, what kind of time pressure are we under, Josh? Because two weeks from now, say, there's the first Democratic candidate debate, and everything will all of a sudden be affected by the 2020 uh, election. Well, I think it's it goes to that public sentiment that we've been talking about here. And I think that with this new cycle being what it is these days, the American people will just move on. And we know that the strategy of the White move House... Move on meaning just... To the, whatever the next issue is. I mean, the yeah. strategy of the White House has been, oh, that old thing, it's done. I think uh, your right. colleagues in the Senate uh, have said, case closed, right? We're ready to move on, which obviously those of us who know about the law know that there are serious issues that are still lingering out Ted, here. Yeah, I, I see you nodding your head. Do you think that that is the strategy and do you think it's working? That's absolutely the strategy. Yeah. Um, we'll 
see if it works. One of the things that's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of bad information come out later on this year or early next year. I'm not sure that Bad as in prejudicial to the president. president. Because they're merely delaying what's going to happen, which is essentially the court cases are going to be in favor of the House of Representatives because legally they simply have very silly arguments. So you're going to have bad information come out close to the election. I'm not sure that's all that helpful to the president. Yeah, no, and I, and I think, and I, I agree with, with all that and what Laura was saying as well about Mueller. And one thing that's been really interesting is, uh, you know, full disclosure, I work for Mueller. I've been, also been very critical of Mueller since his press conference, or I wouldn't even call it a press conference, it's more of a statement, because I think that someone in his position, it's incumbent upon him to volunteer himself to face the the cameras and to face questioning. Uh, This is a a lifelong public servant and a national hero. It would be unfortunate if his last final act here, possibly on the national stage as it relates to government, is somehow manipulated by House Republicans into claiming that what he found he didn't find, and by the attorney general intercepting that pass, in my judgment and the judgment of others, uh, that was rightly meant for Congress to decide what to do with this voluminous uh, Mueller report. And so I've 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 been critical of him. I hope that he will make himself available because I agree that there's nothing like hearing him in his own voice. And the last thing I'll say, having worked for him back in the day, is that there have been instances where he went and testified before Congress not expecting to make news and they dug it out of him <laughs> and he did make news. So I think that regardless of what his strategy is going forward, even if he wants to stick to the four corners of his uh, report, I think that there are some aggressive questioners in the House of Representatives who include some former federal prosecutors uh, who will probably make some news. And, and I'm wondering if there's a way to keep it fresh, honestly which is to say, you know, we're not all looking backwards. We're actually looking forward to the next election, especially with a president who disregards what the laws say on campaign laws and the like. So if we were going to let it go before, we can't let it go now because maybe people are getting the wrong message. Maybe they need to have the message that the Mueller report really said. Yeah, well, well, what about that? Because we actually learned to, to somewhat our surprise that he didn't really focus on the counterintelligence investigation. If you want to make this point going forward... Whom do you make it through? So I think, and again, I would defer to Congressman Liu, who knows more about this than I do, but I, we just heard from Congressman Schiff, who was actually calling upon the FBI to provide a Gang of Eight briefing on the counterintelligence investigation. As I understand it from his statement, the FBI is refusing to even say whether or not there's an ongoing investigation. Uh, and I know, you know, again, from having worked there on the seventh, seventh floor of FBI headquarters, that these Gang of Eight briefings used to be routine. If there was something that was so important that Congress needed to know, uh, they would provide this information. Now, I think Congressman Nunes destroyed that under his leadership that trust and to the extent that the FBI was actually afraid to brief things to the uh, Congress for fear that Representative Nunes would then link it to the White House. Uh, but it's a new leadership now, right? And so I think that it's incumbent upon the Bureau to at least, they don't have to let the public know at this juncture if it's so sensitive that there are all these things that they're doing, but they at least have to let the congressional overseers know what's going on. Otherwise, it's left to the Department of Justice to be the final arbiter. And I don't think that it, under this current regime in charge of the Department of Justice that there's a lot of public confidence that they're doing their work absent uh, a little bit of uh, control or perhaps interference from the White House. Uh, there are six committees of jurisdiction looking into various issues. So the Intelligence Committee is going to look at their counterintelligence aspect of what happened. The Judicial Committee will look at crimes such as obstruction of justice, witness tampering, dangling pardons, uh, witness intimidation, and so on. You've got the House Ways and Means Committee looking at taxes. You have the Financial Services Committee looking at potential money laundering. Uh, You've got 
oversight committee looking at every other random bad thing the administration has done. Uh, so these committees are continuing their investigations, and information is going to keep coming out, uh, much of which is not going to be great for the president, because otherwise they wouldn't be trying to hide it. Yeah. And what's your sense of the degree of coordination among these uh, committees? Is there an overall kind of uh, strategic consensus led from Pelosi to, uh, you know, you do this, you do that, and uh, a, a kind of consensus about how aggressive to be? They have uh, meetings all the time on, <laughs> on, on de-confliction, de- yeah. uh, making sure you don't call the same witness to five different committees. Uh, so those meetings are happening all the time. Yeah. And is there, uh, if you can tell us, a much uh, conflict there? Is there a general uh, agreement about you take this, you take that? And, and There's general agreement. The committee chairs have been working uh, very well with each other, as, as well as with House leadership. Is there a way... Uh, working through Congress for us to give the basic facts of the investigation to the American people? And how is it going to work out? How sanguine are you that, in fact, the American people will get the overall facts of what has happened here and be in a position to reach a kind of national consensus about how we should proceed to investigate and, if justified, Um, respond to it. Well, you know, I think the public has always loved high-profile trials, and you're kind of wondering where I'm going with this. But I think when they look at Congress, they don't have the patience, and they don't have, in some ways, just sort of the institutional memory that you watch a congressional hearing, you read the reports, they want drama. And we saw that, whether it's from, you know, the confirmation hearing to the like. So, you know, I hate to put on the Congress this responsibility, but if you can get one witness in there, and it grabs the attention by having that witness sort of say these are the facts and be subject to cross-examination and be responsive to it, the public will pick up on that. So who are the candidates here? We're talking about the what in Watergate was maybe John Dean or maybe Butterfield. Who, who, who is the uh, dramatic kind of Rubicon crossing moment that could rivet the American people? And that's what I don't know. <laughs> and I have a lot of respect for those in the House who are trying to figure out who is the person who's going to get up there and basically not stab us in the back and give it to it straight to the American public. I think Don McGahn would be a good candidate. Uh, the president, again, uh, went on national TV and called him a liar. Uh, by the way— uh, was that, Yeah, that was, that was unbelievable, right? He now—I think Trump now understands his real exposure on, for obstruction uh, with the use of McGahn. So now all of a sudden McGahn is just simply, uh, you know, a liar, as you say. In addition, uh, the White House has waived executive privilege a gazillion times, but now one more time with basically Donald Trump talking about these very facts that they're claiming privilege over. There's no way that would stand up in court. So we are going to get McGahn to testify at some point. Uh, they really have no legal basis to withhold his testimony. And he may be reluctant about it, but he's a guy who's going to tell the truth, right? He's got a future in Washington. He's you know already achieved what he has to achieve with the administration. I th- and he's got, uh, you know, all the sort of evidence, including from the, the written evidence that his deputy kept. I think he will, in fact, give it straight if he's forced to. Josh? No, I think you're right. I mean, I think there was placement there. There's access. Obviously, he's, um, again, as we mentioned, he's already drawn a little bit of ire from the White House. So I think that we could probably expect him to, you know, to lay out to the extent that he knows what went on. 
it's in, it's important in, in the public interest. I do think that as it relates to you know what the public option is or what the, you know members of the public can expect as far as getting to the bottom of what exactly happened. I don't know what other option there is except Congress. Again, yeah. you look at the Department of Justice and to go back to you know, the current leadership. And I was one of those people that when William Barr came on the scene, I was one of those Me saying, too. hey, let's give him the benefit Me of the too. doubt. Me this too. is an institutionalist. Um, you know, boy, was I wrong, you know, adopting the witch hunt lingo of spying and, yeah. and the like. Well, um, and just the overruling, uh, basically, of what clearly was uh, Mueller's conclusion yes. that there was obstruction. But, and here, here's what, I'm with sorry. No, no, and with no written, right now, this this is the, uh, official word of the Department of Justice, and it's got no analysis, no anything to even be able to uh, assess. It's just Barr says there was no uh, crime here. But I don't know what the rest of you think, but when I watched Barr testify, I thought he looked bad. I, I thought that he looked not very prepared. He looked like an advocate. He didn't look like an attorney general. So I don't know if it matters that you get somebody who's 100% on the side of, you know, we want to so. get this out. I think the American public is smart enough to see somebody who looks like they're hiding something. Yeah, and, what, what, and whoever the witness is, I think, again, going back to the vehicle of Congress, that, you know, again, the American people, they need to know what, what happened. And because we have a DOJ whose leadership is at least in question as far as, you know, where their loyalties lie, whether with the country or with the White House, I think that, you know, it, it, there's uh, no pressure, Congressman, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I think the American people are craving reality. You know, we're lied to every single day, multiple yeah. times per day um, about things big and small. And so I think it, it rests with that legislative body, the representatives of the people to get to the bottom of what happened. Uh, at least I'm, I'm happy to see that there's an aggressive group that's working to do that. It does seem to me, to Lori's point, that in fact, the bar assessment of things hasn't really taken hold. It's still considered an open question whether or not, uh, you know, the president committed crimes. I think it's fitting to try to end with the uh, the congressman's thoughts about what is on the immediate horizon and whether or not you're sanguine about the truth coming out and the American people right. having a kind of uh, judgment uh, of the gravity of yeah. the behavior here. Uh, so the entire Democratic caucus, plus one Republican, Justin Amash, uh, we mm-hmm. do all agree that we need to continue these investigations to uh, look at exactly what happened and how do we bring it to life to the American people. And those are going to continue. It's been slow because the Trump administration has engaged in an unprecedented amount of obstruction of justice versus Congress, uh, but they're losing in court. And as a result of that, uh, they are now... Uh, cutting deals with Congress. So, for example, now we can go see the underlying evidence of the Mueller report. For a very long time, the Warren Justice denied that. So they're going to start rolling production. Uh, we will start uh, seeing a lot of that next week. Uh, you have uh, Hope Hicks coming in. Uh, you've got the Department of Justice also agreeing with the Intel Committee to provide documents on a rolling basis. So this is happening. Uh, it is slower than I would like, but that's because of the Trump administration's obstruction. But the American people are going to get their information. What's your sense of the impact it will have on the American people? Do you see a possible breakthrough and and what has seemed to be a kind of a collective shrugging of shoulders? A recent poll came out showing that independence uh, nearly doubled in terms of those who actually support, for example, an impeachment inquiry. And so uh, what you saw in Watergate is a lot of people were opposed to it. And then you started having hearings and then public 
sentiment shifted. So we'll see what happens with these hearings uh, over the summer, and we'll see if public sentiment shifts. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. If there actually are kind of television moments of people testifying and giving facts there, then people can zero in in a way they just won't with a 448-page report. Okay, so our five words or fewer question comes from Freddie Johnson from Twitter, who asks, why would Robert Mueller investigate if he believed he had no power to indict? Five words or fewer, Lori? Because someone has to. Nice. I like that one. Josh? He wanted congressional action. To inform the American people. To provide a historical account. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Talking Feds. Thank you very much to Professor Lori Levinson, Josh Campbell, and especially to Congressman Ted Lieu. And thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in to Talking Feds. If you like what you've heard, please tell a friend to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkingFedsPod to find out about future episodes and other Feds-related content. And you can also check us out on the web at TalkingFeds.com where we have full episode transcripts. Submit your questions to questions at talkingfeds.com whether it's for five words or fewer or general questions about the inner workings of the legal system for our sidebar segment thanks for tuning in and don't worry as long as you need answers the feds will keep talking talking feds is produced by jenny josephson dave moldovan anthony lemos and rebecca lopatin David Lieberman is our contributing writer. Production assistance by Sarah Philippoum. This episode was recorded by Bill Lance. Transcripts provided by Cassandra Sunt. And thanks very much to the staff of Congressman Ted Lieu for all their help putting together this episode. Special thanks to constitutional scholar Lawrence Tribe the Carl M. Loeb University professor at Harvard Law School. And thanks to the incredible Philip Glass, who graciously lets us use his music. Talking Feds is a production of Delito LLC. I'm Harry Littman. See you next time.